0: And I know that number has certainly um, surpassed that since.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. How did, how did you get your start in, in making mead?
0: Um, I think it was just self-initiated. I went to an, a, an amazing Hot Barley in the ailers. Many of us and many of your listeners have the local homebrew club that hopefully you're frequenting and hanging out at. I went to Hot Barley and the Yellers in Boulder, and there, it happened to be mead night, and it was my first, I think, meeting there, and I was just blown away. It was like 12 meads shared by other by many club members, and we just worked our way through them. Each person would get up, talk about their mead, and the group tried it, and we did that 12 times, and I was just, my head was spinning. <laughs> so I was like, wow, what a beverage, you know? And in an evening, to have it from some of the better uh, you know, mead makers around, they just, presented 12 crazy and different meads that just made me want to get to know everything about the beverage possible
2: wow how did that lead into beer brewing
0: i think that i was already interested in brewing and had already been brewing Um, when i lived in washington dc before i moved to colorado i had already tried a homebrew kit did extract you know in a five gallon bucket um a scottish ale was my first attempt and we loved it. Our friends were floored. And so I had the bug there. And that's why I think I went to the homebrew club meeting was, hey, let me let me get in more into brewing. And that very night, that first meeting, it was me. So it just like was like, wow, where did this come from? And oh. people like Vicki haven't let go. I mean, you just, Vicky, you're you're continuing to fuel it all. I'm very impressed.
3: Well, I've actually decided to wrap my entire business around it instead of Doing uh, general small business consulting for um, marketing and internet marketing. I'm focusing strictly on the craft beverage industry, so that's that's new for you know starting a few months ago. And I'm going gangbusters. In fact, I'm going to the Craft Beverage Expo East in Asheville at the beginning of February. So I'm looking forward to that. So nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them having multiple events. There's one on the West Coast that would be happening a
3: few months from now as well in May, I believe. So yeah. That's interesting. But cool. Good for you. Well, this isn't the big Craft Beverage Expo guys that have the show in Oakland. This is um, Winery um, Wine and Winery Management Magazine. This is their little, they've got like little oh. shows they do regionally, which is kind of cool. Got it. I, didn't, I didn't know that they were out there. I stumbled across them. And strangely enough, the organizer turns out to be somebody who contacted me years ago. About the mead industries, because <laughs> so, they were they were building the shows, and they're like, "Well, do we need these guys in there?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> when
2: you uh, when you discovered uh, mead at that homebrew uh, meeting, was, was there uh, what what was it about it that uh, led you into wanting to make mead? Can you describe? the taste, or
0: you know, I've often described honey as like white paint. You add just a touch of color to white paint and you have a whole nother color that you can put on your wall. It's um, what, you know, white is a very neutral base. Honey, I don't, I'm not calling it neutral at all. Uh, the subtle, delicate flavors are incredible, but... Anything you add to it is is stretched broad and far. And to me, that was pretty powerful. Um, and besides that, as a backdrop, if you're judging me for style guidelines, you want to make sure that the honey is still expressing itself. So it's just a little bit of a different animal, certainly compared to grape wine. And the potential is more, frankly, like beer, because you've got... The addition of so many more extraneous ingredients readily accepted within the mead community and the mead makers, um, whereas grape wine tends to be much more stringent and strict towards the one specific varietal or blend, but still just the base Flavor is usually grapes. You can stre- You can you know add things, but it's just not commonly as as commonly done. So I, lo- I saw a lot of similarities, and yet also I saw a lot of subtle differences in um, the way mead was, uh, just the way mead tastes, the way mead feels. The mouth feels different. The alcohol levels different. Intensity, variety. Super fun beverage.
3: Yeah, yeah. I love that we've got an endless. they literally an endless. Uh, selection of, of mixes and matches that, you know, where we're not, there's not, I mean, and in, in, in the craft brewing industry is doing this too, but you know, like in wines and I guess to a certain extent with ciders, I mean, I guess there's some you can do with ciders, but I don't know how far you can go with that. But um, with the wines, you've got this is the wine. These are the grapes. And yeah, don't be adding cinnamon to your Merlot. You know? yeah, <laughs> people, get, right. people get upset. <laughs> <you know?
0: laughs> so. Right. Or Britannomyces or, you know, any um, wild yeast or microorganisms often most of the time would be shunned. And the creativity yeah. um, going on. I think for both beverages, meat and and, and craft beer is, is exponential. And that's that innovation, frankly, is what has put beer back on top. And we love to share the story at the BA. I answer a lot of media inquiries and it's always like, well, how did this happen? How did this revolution happen? Huh. And and it is a legitimate question, because in 1978, we only had 42 brewing companies yeah. um, in the U.S., less than 100 brewing locations. And today we have more than 4,100 um, and part of it was, is that no longer do we have American lager as the only mainstay type of beer enjoyed, you know, 60 some odd percent of the beer in the U.S. is American lager, but that used to be 80 percent. Yeah. And now we've got, we at the Brewers Association document more than 140 world beer styles at the Great American Beer Festival every Year that we host. Um, 130 some odd beer styles are recognized and judged. And so you've got the U.S. has kind of put, I mean, sorry, you've got the breweries in the U.S. has put this, the U.S. back on the map as a place for flavor and diversity in beer. And that wasn't the case 20, 30 years ago.
2: Yeah, you know, I just, uh, I was doing my uh, little bit of research on the website here. 1873, uh, there were 4,131 breweries. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a couple hundred years ago.
0: Yep, we finally reached the number of breweries in the U.S. that we had pre-prohibition in 1873. And we just did that in December. Wow, I talk a that's lot of, cool. It's crazy. We finally came back from prohibition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it only took, yeah. right? What is it? Eighty years? Is that what? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, about that.
0: It's, it certainly wasn't an overnight success story. And <laughs> then we talk about if you look at the populations in 1873, that was supporting 4,100 breweries, compared to today's much more robust population the model could support you know we could support 30,000 local breweries
2: a lot of people if you drinking the beer same, in 1873
3: well we just have to contaminate the water so that it's unsafe to drink and that
4: everybody has to drink beer that's the key right yes. there you know Mickey, don't <laughs> really let me hear point. anything i may have to testify in court
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> wow <laughs> but uh, so uh, let's talk more about the mead uh, did you have any favorite recipes that you uh, conjured up or uh,
0: yeah I definitely love um, one of my favorites was my blueberry melamel um, and I think that that was a fruited mead that I won we Vicky and I go back um, to have different uh, history towards the Mazer cup where first it was there's, there's been many competitions, but Planet Buzz was put on by Ray Daniels in 2002 and I was mm-hmm. his partner in that. I got Ray to kind of host that and then I was pregnant and couldn't fly out to it. Total digression story. not question. I didn't
3: know that. I don't think you ever told me that part.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I couldn't go to it. It was like it came down to it and my brain had never been like well you're going to be eight months pregnant then. You can't fly. And David Myers of Redstone Meadery who was also very involved in putting on Planet Buzz, so it was kind of the three of us, um, was like, you can't fly there, like a couple of months in advance when he was making flights from Boulder to get ready to go. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I couldn't go to that. I didn't enter it, I don't believe. But then we moved it to Boulder and called it the International Need Festival and Competition. And at that competition, um, I was able to enter... Uh, and I did believe I did very well with my blueberry melamel, and then I also um, like braggots. So I like very much the combination of the two worlds. Um, you've got malt base, you want it to shine. You also still need an expression of the honey. So Vicki's always, um, you know, knowing I love to work my way of judging as at all. Has it possible to just dr- judge the brackets? Cause I think it's a really hard balance to get in that sweet spot of the balance of the two fermentables and the ones that win or they, they are good cause they have to be It's a difficult, yeah. I think, um, style to make. And then traditionals, you know, the um, Taste Me Traditional, which I got gold um, at the, uh, was it Maser Cup then, which was the third no. incarnation?
3: Our, what, when we first it... started ours? Uh, it's mm. It started, it didn't start, ours didn't start out. The one that Pete and I and, and uh, Danny and, and, and Glenn and then started didn't start out being called the Maser Cup because we got that later when we got Ken to give us permission. To, yeah, um, so
0: that's the fourth incarnation. You're right. There was the in-between after International meat Festival and competition where David and I backed away.
3: It was you guys. and mm-hmm. what, what was it called? We, it was actually called like the... Oh, um, uh, shoot. I actually have this somewhere on my hard drive. It, it was called the... Um, the national mead home competition and national mead commercial competition or something like that. But it didn't really have yeah. a name, you know, I mean it wasn't like officially official. And we were continuous with the model. We just, you know, renamed it once um once Ken and the guys graciously gave us permission to use the uh, Maser Cup name. So you know, yeah. but
0: and that, that was, I mean that, that competition has over the years just evolved and still maintained that integrity of The commercial means, if you're into it, you're entering that, what Vicky and Peter involved in and probably DJ and AJ, you guys. But we, I was so proud to win gold in dry traditional because for traditional needs on the home level, you know, I, I did it. And Pete, frankly, was a was a co maker. He counseled me on that recipe. And so I Pete Bakowich, which you guys are close with and maybe some of your <laughs> listeners have hung out with follow him. Oh, yeah. I I call him the Mead Buddha. He's definitely yeah. the Mead Buddha. He is a Mead Buddha. Um Yeah, so traditional dry, like that's a tough one. Nothing can hide there and I was super proud to win gold
2: yeah pete's helping me with a uh, tradition in fact he only lives about 60 miles from me uh, out here in california but he's been helping me with a traditional that he's been eager and wanting me to uh send to the mazer cup this year um i I don't i'm I'm not quite convinced i'm you know it's gonna be that good yet but uh you you got
3: nothing to lose you got nothing to lose by trying you i mean we get stuff that ranges from we, we got stuff that ranges from what were you thinking all the way up to and you're not professional wine. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's what it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you don't know until you try. My very first meat I ever made, which was horrible for the first three years, it sat in the carboy, car I sent into uh, the original Mazer Cup and uh, way back in the, oh God, early 90s. And, um, and it came back with... Uh, Three people saying uh, very nicely, yeah, this is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably right. wait a only- while, but, you know, they gave me, yeah, they gave me good advice, you know, I mean.
0: AJ
2: I like you um, jumping
0: in to say that because you got it. The only way to win is to try.
2: Well, Lots yeah, he, you know, it's, uh, it, it's more for the feedback, but well, I don't expect to win anything, uh, but no, Pete the feedback Hutt, uh, is
3: worth, the winning is nice. I mean, if you yeah. can walk away with a mazer, that's great.
1: Now, if
2: Pete, you can yeah, walk Pete away Hutt. with good
3: advice, that's, that's better.
2: Yeah. That, and that's what Pete, uh, that's what Pete was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aj, uh, you're yes. a beer brewer uh, as well, and ha- have you made? Uh, braggot is something that I I have not tasted, and, and I don't I don't even know what to expect out of it. But I've heard it mentioned, I've seen it written about. Uh, you know, people have talked about it in the forums. Have you made any of these braggots at all?
4: Actually, I think just about all the beers I have made have been a braggot.
2: Okay. Hmm. Well, it's commercially or like a
4: level. Oh, home level. The laws, the laws in Canada are just yeah. stupid. I'm not going to be able to go pro until I pay off my house. Well, and even and then, then maybe
2: not. And then and and then buy a whole bunch of beehives too, right?
4: Uh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking I'll probably go the winery route instead. But you have to have enough. Uh, you you have to be running. Um, You have to be a licensed beekeeper running no less than 100 hives at any given moment to start a meadery and it's not quite as bad for trying to start a winery and you're allowed to use honey as I I don't know if you can do traditionals but you can certainly do, um, I've certainly seen a couple of um, wineries that also do um, fruit meads. so um it's just a matter of which loop you know which which hoop am i going to jump through and which loopholes am i going to use but, but the, um the, the bragg- I, I haven't even gotten to um full grain brewing yet uh, i'm still working with extracts but that's mostly a space constraint and times constraint thing for me
2: raggots are a uh, they're made with hops and, and grains and the like is that right julia
0: yeah, well, there's different, and under the guidelines in front of me, there's different things that you can ask. It could be a. Who's, who's uh, typing experiment. phone
2: buttons? I, uh, Julia might, might be accidentally me. hitting her oh. phone buttons. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry,
0: I think it's corrected now. I apologize. Geek ah, <laughs> off the phone! <laughs> um, <laughs> Braget, um, traditional braggot is not going to be out there. It's not going to have fruit. As soon as you start to have one, Vicky, you help me more than one ingredient from another style. You're booting it in out of that traditional style.
3: Yeah. So, once braget, yeah, Once you start crossing styles, you're into bells. That's you know, and that's where you stay.
2: Yeah, and that's mostly where braget. I am. <laughs> but bra- braggot yeah, is so a. You can, category by itself right yes yes it is
3: correct
2: what uh, uh you know when it when it comes to hops i'm i am not a beer brewer in fact if you and you'll understand why if you go to godme.com and read my first article <laughs> yeah, <up there>.
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his article really good julia it's definitely worth a read i've been getting a lot of good feedback uh, okay. on it and and jd Great. what you don't realize is that julia is probably one of the top uh speaker well, to braggets that you're gonna find in the country. She, she's like a big braggart cool. person, so well yeah.
2: I you know, I'm 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 taking Pete's uh advice and I mean I, I tried some fruit stuff early on. AJ can attest to some of <laughs> the science projects that I've that I've had, but uh I, I have taken Pete to uh, at his advice and I'm sticking with traditionals I've got several going, and I'm very hopeful about it. I've, I've got all the correct, in, you know, uh, uh, brewing equipment and, and, and things now that I've inve- invested in. Braggett is something that I'm a little fearful of uh, because I've never done anything with hops and barleys and grains and the like. Uh, can you can you take me through the process, Julia? And, you know, how do you put a braggot together? What, what's the process?
0: Well, I think AJ can help because she's made it more recently. Anything goes in how a brewer wants to get there. And I'm going to digress again. One of my favorite ways is not answering questions and then actually answering them. But, like, for example, at the Brewers Association, where I mentioned those over 140 beer styles, we don't really get centric in most of the style guidelines with ingredients. BJCP does. And so you would be listing ingredients more so in the BJCP guidelines. But flavor profile wise, you can get there in different ways, meaning if, you, if I were to take you through the braggart process, others are going to say they do it differently. Others, you know, some are going to use malt extract. Some are going to actually extract, you know, um, some, turn your grains into wort and not have that extract. So using the, the grains that are crushed and do a mini mash. So it totally just depends on the brewer.
2: Yeah. So is it is it as much like making a beer and just adding honey or...
0: Well, technically, there's bracket and there's braggot, yeah. and not in that's like the old world. BJCP doesn't have both, but I will tell you that you can have a a, a mead, honey wine, and blend it with a beer, and that's bracket. Braggot would be fermented honey and malt together.
2: I see. Okay this is probably uh i'm sure this is probably going to go down in another category on our show at some point uh i mean i've read about braggarts and i you know like i said i'm a little bit fearful uh of getting involved uh with them but you know he he
3: won't let you yet
2: (laughs) Pete won't let me yet but i'm not going to mark it off the list either but i mean maybe uh, start uh, by trying some Uh, Yeah, I mean, at some point, uh, you know, you you, got to jump in with both feet and and give it a shot. I mean, how else are you going to know? Uh, And that's how I started this whole mead thing. I mean, I I jumped in actually probably neck deep before I... Before I needed a life preserver, <laughs> so, life um,
4: preserver named Peter.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> now,
4: how, you any, were, how many batches
0: have you made? I wonder. Lots. I'm just getting perspective. <laughs> a lot. So yeah, you're like uh, not kidding. You're full bore. Uh,
4: well, I oh, have yeah. oh, your balls
0: I, to the wall, full bore mead making all the
3: time. Okay. Is that I, it? Julia, considering
4: adop- he started, what, a year ago, two years ago, a
3: adopting the years. Julia method of answer- answering questions. I'll digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <let's laughs> yeah. it right. Several put months it. ago, uh, back in March, when I was staying at my daughter's dog sitting for her while she was doing army things in the desert. Uh I get a phone call from this guy and he says, "Hi, my name is JD and I'm like totally into mead making and I discovered your site and you need to do a radio show, so I'm just going to bug the crap out of you until you say yes." <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's and awesome. he did. And he did and and we did and uh now yeah, so,
2: 21 shows or 20. This is
3: episode nope. 22 I think. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And I'm learning how to make mead from all of them. <laughs> so this
3: is yeah, this is basically JD's education <laughs> yeah.
2: life. The education of JD. The mead education of JD Webb. So. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I have supplied the neighborhood with tons of lawnmower gas. So. <laughs> uh, but now, now I'm doing it right. But I'm I'm eager to explore when I when I get to the point when actually my my teacher. Uh, you know, gives me a passing grade and says, yeah, you can move on to the next thing. But I, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to cross brackets off on the list quite yet, but I just don't know enough about them. Uh, and from what I have saw, really, I'm a little fearful about uh, even getting involved. But, uh, you know, we'll give it a shot down the road for sure, you know.
0: Sure, why not? Take your time. Now you got to go. I mean, life's too short to not be comfortable, but yet you got to push past your comfort zone. So, that said, when you're ready, you should put it on your radar because you sound intrigued.
2: Do Do you have any favorite honeys or favorite ingredients that you like to use, Julia?
0: Um, You know, I like honey that is from uh, i'm more of a simpleton i'm not aware or haven't had the chance to taste a lot of the exotic honeys. so i'm more middle of the road mead maker in that manner orange blossom honey i do believe is a specific um favorite for many mead makers for traditionals for a reason the flavor components are very clean but yet have some floral um citrus notes and orange and floral notes i mean i mean it It's, orange blossom honey is a great standby. Every time you go for wildflower honey, and this is definitely for your beginner listeners, many of your bands already know this, I mean, you're, you're usually getting a different mix and there is, is, is a variety or terroir going on every almost single time, unless you're getting it from a honey house that blends a lot and is going for a certain flavor profile. So I'm not scared of fermenting with, um, wildflower. But I just know that it's different every time. If I'm working for competition, I definitely want to stick with orange blossom, and I think there's a reason that so many commercial traditional meads
4: are made out of orange blossom honey. Wow. Well, and it's friggin' fantastic.
3: Oh yeah, I just love it. Yeah, it. and then you have we don't t- grow oranges up have- here.
4: <laughs> you know what? We don't grow oranges in Canada. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah can't get the right. orange blossom.
4: Yeah. This and stuff's yet, like
2: liquid gold for me. And I, I live down here in California, and it's it like it like rolls into the ocean out here. I mean, it just there's just so much of it. But uh, of course, and I live in Orange Grove uh, country here in Southern California, Ventura, Kern County, all that. Um, but yeah, uh, actually, orange blossom is so prevalent out here that I don't want to use it. I like I want to use some other. I've been using mesquite uh excellent the the one uh uh, the one that uh, pete's been helping me on uh that we want to send to the major cup is an orange blossom but i've also got uh 60 pounds of wildflower that's probably the most amazing honey that i've ever tasted uh and this is this is right out of the hive i mean it's right from the extractor into the into the five gallon pail uh, and, and I don't know whether that has anything to do with the w- with the flavor at all or not, but I have never tasted honey this good. Uh, he's been he's been going
3: on about this honey for three shows now. So. Yeah, yeah, it's good.
2: I'm, well, and I, I I put it out there, you know, man, and and, and oftentimes we'll. Uh, you know, I'll come up with something, and, and we'll get the listeners involved. We did a whole session on this pumpkin project that we did, you know, during the winter. <laughs> what's, uh, this
3: wee, what's this? We what's this? We shit, kimosabi I wasn't involved in that. Well, well, <laughs> but uh, you know, Man, we all listened
4: to
2: it.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was fun to listen to. Yeah, it was a train wreck. It was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know,
2: we got we got feedback from listeners, and uh, you know, we, I mean, we talked about it on the forum and everything, so. I mean, this is all, uh, you know, an attempt to get input, uh, you know, from from people who, who are listening to the show. So, uh, and this latest wildflower thing, I mean, you know, I kind of been a in a quandary. Uh, I'm I'm right now I'm um, in yeast selection. I don't know what yeast <laughs> to use yet, and I put it out there to the uh, to the gotme dot com folks.
3: And asked everybody that we have on the show.
2: Yeah, and then yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, what what other way? What better what better way than to get uh, you know good advice or good input uh, on something that you want to come out well is to ask folks who have already done it. So
3: you, you do realize that you know all of this professional education you're getting from some of the top people in the meat industry, like Pete and Julia and stuff like that, can you know. And if you don't start winning back-to-back-to-back gold medals, you're going to be in so much trouble.
4: Oh, yeah. (laughs) High expectations, boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: You might be better off just to stick to being mediocre, and then you get to drink
4: a lot
2: more. You
3: (laughs) You
4: don't have
2: to keep sending it (laughs) to competitions. Well, according to craftbeer.com, we do drink a lot out here in California, so...
3: <laughs> we do
2: contribute the most to the u.s economy so <laughs> <laughs> that's a dirty job but i uh I, you know we're, we're talking to julia hers tonight and uh she is uh, and i may have might, i might have put these in in the notes incorrectly but the program director for say it again julia the brewers association, the brewers association. The brewers association and you're the publisher for craftbeer.com correct uh, and uh, we've been talking about gosh beer we've been talking braggus, we've been talking meads uh, what's the best mead you've ever made
0: I didn't make it and uh, it was ah. distilled
2: it was,
3: so, my- it was best distilled. one you've ever made or the best one you've ever had
0: well yeah I'm changing the my the, the question. Go <laughs> oh, ahead. Okay. Anyone can ask me that just it it really it was handed to me at my wedding um in a bottle from a friend who made it and it was a distilled mead. so okay, nice. it, it was I don't know the alcohol level like maybe you know Uh, It wasn't too big. It wasn't over the top 20 proof. It was, it was, it was reasonable and it was even just more refined goodness. I loved it. I've got a
3: small, I've got a small bottle of uh, distilled mead from, um, uh, shoot, they're closed now um, in Northern California. And, and, and he, he gives me, he gave me a bottle every year for years and, uh, oh, and yeah. then there's there's a uh, white winner in Wisconsin is doing a distilled blueberry that's, oh, my Ooh. God, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, really good. So if you get anywhere near Wisconsin, Julia, because you, you'd like this. It's
2: good. Now, is this freeze distilled or is this actually distilled? In a, oh, this uh, is
3: distilled distilled, as far as I know. I think they're doing a partner gig with a distillery. Interesting. Freeze yeah.
4: distilling does stick. work. Can. That's what I did with my maple oh, made. Yeah. It worked out really well although i'm not well, sure you it doesn't can do that in so all states in a, well on a
3: commercial level it's a little difficult you need a really big freezer so <laughs>
4: well yeah and i i have canada where you know outside is well, a really big freezer true. for that's half the year that's
3: so. true yeah you that's know, what i did i chucked it freezer, out on the balcony
2: yeah. just leave it I've sit outside that. for a couple days
3: i've accidentally left meads outside before funny how that happens And then if uh,
0: you were to ask me the best um, fermented beverage I've ever had, it wouldn't be beer or mead. I had a beet wine, as in red beets, the vegetable, Mm. Uh that was hand-carried back from somebody's barn in Montana, and our friend pulled off like half a bottle. Totally should have been oxidized. It was 25 years old. Just oh. splashed around while he drove it back to us, and it it was glory. I just couldn't believe it. You know, and beets are a pure sugar source, practically just like honey. Um, yeah. Different, yeah. you know, sugar compounds going on, but super, super fun, and I, I want to have a beet wine again. If so we're, we're what color it? was
3: it? What color it was, was it? It
0: was more than rose-like. It was beet red, but not ruby red. If that makes Uh sense. It wasn't, the hue wasn't totally Mm -hmm. dense and opaque. Okay, Um, It was a glorious color. It looked like liquid beets. I mean, it was that red, but not, you you could see through it. It was nice. We're
2: we're talking, we're talking the typical red beet uh, vegetable that you have. Buy at
0: the store.
3: Yeah. 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 uh, yeah, Where a lot of our cane sugar comes from. Yeah, like well, sugar beets then. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there was uh, years yep. years ago. It was Major Cup year two or three, I think. Um, somebody entered a beet mead, and it made it all wow. the way. It meddled, but it didn't make it to the BOS table. And um, I remember because I was I I did not get to judge it sadly, but somebody somebody brought it over to me. Somebody who apparently knows I hate beets. And um I mean like the smell of beets is enough to make me go to the bathroom to throw I don't like beets, period, at all. Can't stand them. And um yeah, it's one of the very, of the very few yeah, one of the very few foods that will make me just the smell of it is enough to make me bilious. But anyway, so somebody shoves this in my face and says, Here, drink this. You know, and we're always doing that. And so of course I took a sip of it. This stuff was I kid you not day glow pink i mean glow in the dark <laughs> looked like somebody poured it out of a glow stick pink and um uh, and, and and it was amazing oh my gosh it was so good how so neat yeah and i've uh, never you know and it's so funny i've told that story to reporters and and um in interviews and stuff like that and so i'm constantly getting stopped going what about that beat me and i'm like i wish i knew if i could figure <laughs> out who it was that made it I'd be like all over the guy asking for the recipe. I'd cook beets for that.
2: <laughs> so awesome. this is, you know, I mean, I, because there is a difference between you know the red beet they put on a dinner table and the sugar beet that sugar is made out of. Right?
0: Yeah, and Vicky's right to correct me. My impression from
3: my friend who brought it back that it was that it was sugar beet.
2: Mm, sugar beet. Oh, yeah, that's another interesting. The,
3: the only reason I think of that is that I grew up in Michigan. Michigan is one of the top states for sugar beet production. You know, it's a, or at least it was when I was growing up. I don't know if it still is, but we grew a lot of sugar beets up there. So well, yeah, we, I, that's what we threw out for deer and cattle. And, you know, I mean, it's,
4: I wonder if they grow
2: here. Well, you they'll better hope everything so.
3: Back to Canada, and your climate. They'll, they'll they will grow <laughs> in northwest. They will grow in northern Michigan, so it's very possible. Well, probably yeah, yeah you
2: you better hope so because uh, I was just reading in the news where Hawaii's last big uh, sugar cane, uh, uh, field or plantation plowed under. Yeah. Huh. So well, uh, but uh, that's interesting. Uh, Not that that accounts for anything in mead making, mind you, but uh, some of us. Well, unless you're making,
4: (laughs) yeah. Although that's often why I make a wine, a fruit wine, rather than a a a is because I can't afford the honey, and sugar's really, really cheap. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Interesting. So, Julia, what is coming up with uh, BA and craft beer? What you got? What you got going on that you can tell us? Sure, we've got a lot
0: in the cooker. I can't believe it's already 2016. The joke everybody's probably been saying is, yeah, well, just last year. Mm, Um, And we're in a whole brave new world of this year. And, I mean, if you're really asking about the craft brewing community in the U.S., it continues to grow like gangbusters. In the beginning of this conversation, I was saying there was 4,100 breweries. We have another 2,000 on record for breweries and planning. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And they're not all going to open. We had 500 some odd open in uh, 2014. Um, But what you're going to continue to see is what I call, it's two dichotomies. I call, I say there's a localization of beer movement going on and a globalization of beer movement. And one or the other is is not right or wrong. They are both fueling this crazy interest In beer, but thank goodness the localization of beer movement is going on because now we have that diversity that we were also talking about. And I like to see these small breweries come online. I mean, ninety-six percent of the four thousand one hundred breweries make less than fifteen thousand barrels of beer a year,
1: Mm.
0: and so I think that's really that. We get asked the question a lot: Are there too many breweries? What's continues to grow? It's going to crash. Crazy, ah. The bottom line is, is you guys might know these numbers, but 8,000 wineries exist, right, in the U.S. And the sales is only a third of where we're at for beer, or a little um, less than a third. Um, Sorry, more than a third. Beer sales in the United States is a $101 billion beer market that's imported and domestically made beer, and that's for 2014. Wine sales in the U.S., it's 37 and a half billion and most of that is yes grape wine um, and that's imported and, and domestically um, made as well. So it's such a dichotomy where if you can have 8,000 wineries existing for that smaller piece of the pie, then yes, we can continue to support more breweries. So part of what you get when you ask me what's going on with the BA is we're, we're continuing to be the national association and the voice representing the majorities in the U.S. so they can continue to grow and thrive. And we hope to see them achieve by 2020, you know, 20% market share for 2014 they were at about 11% market share by volume of all the beer sold um, or 19.6 nice. billion Start. yeah it's getting there 19.6 billion dollars are from small and independent US producers in the US and that's compared to the 37 and a half billion in wine so I am starting to say look at little mighty crack brewers over here they're starting to nip at the heels of wine even and yeah. so there's so much room for growth and we just want to continue to fuel it new entering getting into the market need to understand they better make world class quality beer and that's a part of what many of your listeners are about is you know on the home level making quality meat or beer and trying to really learn all they can but if you go pro you can't just be a business expert or a marketing expert or a brewer that's world class you gotta have all three Yep. and that's yeah. a lot of what we're involved in preaching.
2: But, um, real quickly what, what, what is the impact of craft beer uh, recently had on the well used to be the big three and I call it the big two you know, uh, Sab, Coors, Miller, InBev uh,
3: baby InBev, yeah
2: what, what's, what's, what's the impact? impact? Yeah I mean, I are they starting to feel to... the pinch?
0: Yeah, they absolutely are They're changing and evolving their business model. They're trying to buy up small and independent craft brewers, not in mass, but Anheuser-Busch InBev's specifically in the last two years has purchased numerous um, breweries. They already had Goose Island under their belt and Blue Point in New York, but now they've got four peaks from Arizona just went down that deal this year. Um, Breckenridge Brewing in my backyard just got purchased by ABM Um You have Golden Road who got purchased late fourth quarter last year from Los Angeles. So they're making regional purchases and meanwhile Miller Coors is getting acquired by ABM Bev and I- be asked probably um, what we're hoping is that it is a foregone conclusion that they have to divest the brands as the business talk meaning no longer could AB InBev even though they're acquiring Miller Coors globally AB InBev is not allowed to own those Miller Coors brands so Molson Coors is is coming in and taking those brands and they will own the US rights to those but it's like this huge Uh, complex puzzle going hmm. on business wise for beer and the big boys are, your question is a good one and It's timely, are absolutely impacted. They continue to lose share. American Lager, like I said, was 80 some odd percent of the beer sold in the U.S. and now it's 60 some odd percent. The majority of the top 10 brands in the U.S. are losing share and that's because there's more, you know, different beers, different occasions. Or different beverage different occasions right that's how we all yeah. enjoy um, yeah. many people that are loyal to one brand sure they're going to they're going to continue to do that but more and more people that are coming online like the millennials enjoying um in fermented beverage alcohol are cross-drinking and so i, I think that you know <laughs> they're
3: ah, diversifying I love that. is the best had to do so that's a great phrase uh, well so and, and you know it's funny that you uh you know that you're talking about this this impact i mean we're as a, you know, the craft industry is having an impact on the big boys and there's something else. And I saw this on the BA site with um, some of the, um, act, uh, you know, actions to take kind of thing, ABM, Bev Miller Coors, and they're buying up of, uh, distributor and then divesting those distributor of everything, but their brands. Yeah. So that, that not only impacts the craft brewing industry, but wine and mead as well, because, you know, suddenly they're finding themselves, you know, like without a distributor.
2: Well, and you know, just maybe if you can't beat them, join them by acquisition type of thing going on. But well,
3: there's some of that. They're, they're also broadening their they're broadening their scope. You see that with the raft of, uh, well. Average is probably the best way I could put it. Ciders that are coming out that are they're you know spreading out to try to blanket the cider market and take up more shelf space.
4: So well, that and um, uh, Coors I think came out with an iced tea beer a couple of years ago. I don't know how that did, but it ins- that was one of the things that inspired me to try my own batch. Yeah, it didn't. Fair enough. <laughs> it, it didn't.
3: I never look in that uh, section of twi- the, uh, the beer tea.
0: store. Twisted tea is popular for um, Samuel Adams Boston beer yes it is
2: Um, okay so I guess they they just did it right then
3: I think um, Sam Adams of the big boys Sam Adams puts out good products I mean they they do
2: the reason why Sam
0: Adams is still a small independent craft brewer they are they are a heritage craft brewer and continue to impress yeah they do
2: the reason why I was asking is because there's a lot of craft breweries who are who are starting to get interested in making mead now and Uh, I'm wondering if this is going to be a good thing for the mead making industry. Sure. Um, I mean, I certainly can't hurt, but more the merrier, you know, (laughs) there
4: are so many different ways of doing meads and beers that like no one person's going to corner their market no matter how many of us there are.
2: Well, and I wonder, and, and, you know, and again, I mean, I can point you to the, you know, article that I wrote here on gotmead.com about my first beer drinking experience with my dad who was an avid Coors beer drinker. And I mean, then it was Miller's and I mean, he ran the gamut, but they were all American made. And that's what I grew up drinking. And, uh, you know, you, 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 circle of wagons around one that you firmly believe in and that's what you drink. Well, until a couple of years ago when I actually had my first craft brew and it was a very profound experience and I thought, <laughs> wow, I'm drinking beer for the first time again.
3: Angels <laughs> came down, you know, oh, yeah, you had an
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is how
3: beer
2: is supposed to like. So, Sorry. It, was, uh, it was kind of an epiphany really. So, uh, but it's interesting that, um, I, you know, I, and I keep track of the of the beer industry a little bit only because I'm interested in seeing how AB and Bev, Miller, Coors, Sab and the like are dealing with the craft brewer. Because the one thing that I do know and I really hold against the, the big two, they ruined a perfectly good beer uh, in, on the East Coast Rolling Rock. Uh, they bought their brewery up changed the recipe redistributed it as rolling rock and people really turned against it Uh, and that's that's I I don't want to get in a whole discussion about it I mean this isn't a beer show but uh, I'm just curious of you know what the impact that you know the big 2 were having on the craft industry but you know and and thanks for your uh, your input on that sure well, uh, gosh, uh, I think we've, we've held Julia,
3: uh, hostage long <laughs> enough here. It's been <laughs> almost an hour.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: You uh, got. I never got my commercial break to go run and get something, but that's yeah, we okay. never did, I'll did, wait till we yeah. hang up. <laughs> yeah. now my we're bad, my it. bad for sitting down without one.
3: That's it. Yeah, you of all people should know better. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: wow. Fun time. Would love to have you on again. Uh, you know and and talk more about mead making and i'm really interested in in you know finding out how the craft beer industry is uh, doing with cider making and beer because that's another thing that a lot of these craft breweries are getting into is cider making and mead making so um i, I guess and more power to them you know yeah that's i, I love
3: i love seeing the cross pollination that's going on that's that's really fun to watch and there are there are voices in the industry that say that that's not necessarily a good thing but I'm a big believer in a rising tide floats all boats. Mm-hmm. And and you know it does. I mean, every mead that gets made increases the awareness of mead. Every craft beer that gets made increases the awareness of beer. And likewise with ciders and 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 you know and distilled products because there are so many people out there that are oblivious to this craft beverage industry that's going on right under their feet and they didn't even know it you know?
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're there
2: well julia again thanks for joining us here tonight on god mead live we're gonna step away take a commercial break when we come back we'll talk about some yeast selections here in a little bit so don't wander off we'll be back From the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey. Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes meads, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at beeNectar.com. That's bee nectar with a K.com. If you're a mead maker, you need gotmead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. Gotmead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. Gotmead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead making awards, Melovino opens his doors becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to Melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today, located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Millburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Hey, this is JD Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead, and I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. And we are back here live at God Mead Live here tonight. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting uh, gal to talk to uh, Julia hers I Would really like to talk to her again. I wish we did a beer show.
4: <laughs> 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 you know,
1: isn't that uh, how I got
4: into this in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, a beer there, show.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I man. There's so much that can be said for the beer industry too, and of course. Uh, I mean, it's all alcohol. What the hell, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought we'd um, I thought we'd take a minute and talk about yeast selection. I'm, I'm curious as to how people make their yeast selection. Of course, this all ties into this wildflower uh, traditional mead that I'm about to make, and I I've briefly talked about it uh, last week on on the show about. You know what, what do i use and I, and I put the question out on the forum you know i got this wildflower gonna make a big batch a traditional you know what, what yeast would you use and what i um and i guess there's a second part to that question how, how do you make that is it, what it,
3: well i mean the thing is is you're going in me you're you're going in yeast first and with a mead how you know what the mead is going to be is the question you need to ask what am i going to make and then you know you say okay i'm going to make a dry traditional with this wildflower honey what yeast do i use you're 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 putting the cart before the horse and that's that's why and i know a lot of people have come back and told you well what are you making Right. So you need to you need to start putting. You don't even have to have your recipe necessarily, but I want to make a dry tradi- traditional, or I want to make a strawberry millimel or I want to make a whatever. And I have this amazing <laughs> been going on about it for weeks. Wildflower honey that I really want to use for this, but I and I want to maintain. I really want to preserve the flavor and the aroma of this honey. It's real important to me. So what yeast do I use in making this? Yeah, traditional I, you
2: know, or whatever, you know. And just, I, I just, just recently, I've, I just, oh, that was, I mean, you talk about another epiphany. Uh, funny you mm-hmm. should say that because I was just thinking because apostrophes
3: happen everywhere. Apostrophes. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, damn things they just pop up like like they, semicolons are awful.
2: They do. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about that because uh, the, my wife and I had had some biscuits the other night with our homemade stew and we used, i saw that stew
3: it looked very yummy <laughs> uh,
2: we used uh we used we drizzled some of the uh, wildflower honey on the biscuits and i thought oh my uh-huh. god this is this is more like dessert <laughs> and, uh, so i it, it just dawned on me that this is this is what i want uh i want i want the sweetness of this honey to come out i want a not a bone dry, but not a real candy sweet either. Something in between.
3: Then you want a semi.
2: Semi sweet. Semi
3: sweet. Uh, there's there's dry, which is like merlot dry. Okay, so it's like dry. Yeah. And no. yeah, and and then there's and then sweet is what a lot of people describe as as tooth numbing, which is actually too sweet. But yeah. you know, it depends on where you're coming from. If you're coming from a place of, I usually drink drier things, then a regular sweet is going to taste tooth numbing to you. Um, if, you know, if you're coming from a place of semi-sweet, not so much, but semi-sweet and you can do, you can do something that's between, you don't have to say, oh, it's got to be dry, semi-sweet or sweet. It can be off dry. So you could do a dry-ish mead that's a little sweet, just enough to support whatever flavors it is that you're trying to express there. And that can often turn out extremely well. I love me a really good off-dry, well-balanced mead.
4: Well you also may need to figure it out as you go along too because you might not know right away um, how sweet it needs to be like when I was making my uh, chocolate pear mead for the group brew um, I had no idea how sweet it was going to end up because I didn't know how um, I didn't know how the pear and the chocolate were going to interact and it turned out that I, it did need a certain amount of sweetener or else all you could taste was the bitterness from the chocolate. Yeah. So you know, every just every batch is different, and you may have to play it by ear according to the batch too. Yeah,
3: yeah that's very true. Because as I'd, much as Pete may hate
4: back sweetening,
3: I know, right? I, I I've often uh, said that a strawberry mel needs a little sweetness to to underpin the flavors, and I got proven wrong last year at the Maser Cup. Somebody put out a dry strawberry, which I sneered at until I tasted it. Yeah, and uh, and it
2: was amazing. It was really good, and
3: the flavors were well expressed. So I. I stand corrected.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, something with fruit. uh, I mean, if you're gonna highlight a raspberry, it would need uh, a
3: little sweetness. To it depends. Not always. It depends on. Yeah, you would think. I don't really like. I don't
4: like dry wines. And as far as I remember, this raspberry that I've got is it's dry, but I'm still I'm still quite enjoying it.
2: Yeah. See, I I like. I I tend to like dry white wines and dry red wines. I'm a big Merlot, and I'm a big Cabernet. Drinker.
3: All right. Well, if you're if you're a big Merlot and Cabernet drinker, then then you want to play with currants. Um, currants give a lovely acidity back up uh, to brought, to that I'm
2: fruit just, flavor. This this is a traditional though. I'm working on. So well, this,
3: yeah. I mean, but too, well, I was just saying. You said Merlots and cab, so I brought that up. Yeah. But yeah, if you In love dry, if you taste. like yeah, if you like a really dry Chardonnay, then yeah, go for go for I would say go for an off dry traditional. Because a super dry traditional is, well, it's damn difficult to achieve well. You have to be really good at making mead to get that to work.
4: I I, I, I haven't had one I've really liked. Mm, Yeah, me neither
2: some of the sweetness from that honey to come out because I just, I mean, you, you got to share this, this honey. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I think it's amazing. It, it's
3: the <laughs> best. You realize you have to come to the Maser cup and bring some of the damn honey. <laughs> I should.
4: Yes. I should. So that, yes you I'm should. Old, oh, no you're <laughs> going to get lynched. Go ahead and order <laughs> a package of the
3: little honey sticks and go ahead and transfer some of that honey into those honey sticks and bring them with you. <laughs> yeah.
2: I have never, uh, you know, if I did, it might have been when I was a child on my grandfather's farm, perhaps, up in Oregon. But I've never had honey that has come right from the hive, uh, you know, into my mouth. I mean, it's always gone through some kind of process, and you buy it in the jar at the store. So God only knows what happened to it. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, this stuff I mean it's just it's it's like no other honey that I have ever tasted I mean it is the most fantastically
3: (laughs) here he goes again it may not uh, it may
2: not
4: have to do with the process it might just happen to be that you've you know tripped over the perfect blend that year of whatever flowers happen to be in it
2: yeah Yeah. I you know I may not even get this batch again (laughs) you know
4: you know it it may be that if it was even in the jar and had been filtered it would still taste as good yeah. You, you never know. Certainly,
3: you almost certainly won't get that batch again, and probably not in your lifetime. Last year was a, <laughs>
4: right. And seriously, the-
3: no, I, I'm not. I'm not joking, maybe because okay, last year was a super dry year. The year before that, the year before that, and the year before that were super dry years. California is in a historic drought, right? right. So now, are in the El Nino. You're getting buckets and buckets and buckets of oceans of water dumped on you. And so that's going to completely change, change the up. output of the, you know, it's going to be a whole different thing. You're going to get a whole different mix of stuff. So next year's first spring wildflower is going to be different. It's yeah. got to be different.
2: Well, and this is all the more reason why I want to be very careful about my yeast selection and where I want to go with this. So I'm, you know, and I, I have to agree with you. I need to start at the back end. I need to figure out okay, where do I want
3: what are you making? What 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 is your what is your end? Okay, here's the business here's 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 the business and marketing specialist to me coming out. What is what is your goal with this honey? Do you want to I mean is the is the idea here to really showcase the honey?
1: yeah oh yeah then okay
3: then then we're definitely in a traditional which we'd already figured out so the next step and i would say enlist the help of somebody who's an expert with traditionals which would be for (laughs) me which would be pete yeah i I make (laughs) melamels and methaglins. i've made traditionals because i like doing i like doing varietal honeys but i don't work with wildflower that much so then what you do is is make sure that you really the the both have the taste of that honey firmly in your minds so that you can get a pretty good idea of what you're going for. And then from there you design the recipe and choose the yeast. And then you're going to have to monitor the crap out of it. Like every minute for like the first six weeks, you're going to be watching that thing. Like it's your firstborn child. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you, uh, if anybody out there has got uh, some input here, 818-921-4680. Uh, yeah, we this, got
3: you know all our usuals have not called in, guys. What the yeah, hell? And
2: Mississippi Chris, uh, I don't know, he may have his hands neck deep in somebody's chest, but no, uh, or I guess wrist deep. <laughs> oh no, he's deep, not neck deep. Know. That's
3: a that's a deep chest if he's if he's, if he's uh David neck deep. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think oh, that's become
4: veterinary. <laughs>
2: Dave, uh, I know you're out there too, and uh, I know Hamish is on uh, Skype. He's usually uh, uh,
4: Hamish is
3: Hamish is at work, so you know it's like uh, (laughs) let's let's see here, where is Hamish? There he is. Let's not get Hamish
2: there. uh, Anybody uh, who's listening to the show, we're waiting for your call uh, to get in on this discussion. JD's got a sixty-pound bucket of some really amazing wildflower honey. Uh, and I think what we're going to do is wind up with a, let's say a semi sweet. I don't want it real sweet. Um, I want to highlight the honey itself. Uh, and the, you know, the, 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 flavor of the honey and the aroma is just, I mean, it smells like a freaking flower garden.
4: I'm uh, guessing if you want to preserve the aromas, you're going to want something that's a little more gentle than, oh, say, EC1118, and you're going to want to ferment it probably cool so that it's a slow fermentation so that it doesn't blow all the exciting stuff out the airlock. Right,
2: yeah. That's
4: what I'm guessing.
2: Um, yeah, and I, I mean, and, and my yeast selection kind of runs the gamut, too. I mean, every, anything from QA23 to DV10 to... Uh, d21 d47 is even on the list uh, yeah
3: so you know I mean you sit down and you plan out the recipe and then um, you know knowing that what you're trying to achieve is uh, you know an off dry traditional say if that's what you I' going for then you choose your yeast based on that which will also tell you the temperature it needs to be fermented at and that uh, that that'll also dictate the uh, nutrient additions that you'll need to make as well. Right. And then basically at that point, you have a formula okay. that you can follow. And as long as you monitor that and make sure that the temperature swings don't happen and then it gets stirred at the appropriate intervals and that sort of thing until the point where you reach two thirds of the ferment and can let it start to rest a little, then, you know, then it's just a matter of waiting till the fermentation finishes, rack that puppy off. And at that point, it should be pretty good. With age, it'll probably be better. And a a traditional, you can usually age a traditional and it'll only get better with age.
2: Yeah. I, uh, you know, one of the things that um, I I put up, well, in our show notes, uh, everybody else can't see this, but I put a link up to the uh, Lalaman site, the catalog there, uh, which I have found quite no they've
3: got great stuff yeah i used to i used to list all of their um i used to um yeah i used
4: to have the least yeast list on Mead. yeah but they were up
3: i decided to just one of the things i'm doing when i update all the yeast pages for um the newbie guide is to just link out because i mean they just they're constantly adding new stuff and i can't keep up so
2: Mm-hmm. This, this catalog that they have on the Lalaman site, and it, it's kind of difficult actually to get to. You got to kind of hunt and peck your your way around in there. But uh, I, I I have bookmarked it and I refer to it. But here's the thing: all right, being a new mead maker, um, you know, I look at all this documentation and it's confounding. Okay, yeah. I mean uh I can pick out the alcohol tolerance. I know what that means. Uh and then I look under the pairing and it says I'm I'm looking at D V ten for a, a example. Uh, they make Cabernets with this. They also make uh Chardonnays. Uh worst demeanors. They make Pinot Grigios with it, Rieslings, Sauvignon yeah. Blancs, and uh this other uh I don't know what this is, Wyogen or whatever that is. Well,
3: okay, what you want to do is, because they don't obviously, they aren't going to tell you what kind of meads you can make with these. So, and this was why I used to have the right. list on Got Mead, because what we did was say this was really good for these kind of meads. But again, the, you can't keep up with the list. So, what you do is you're making, if you're making an off dry traditional, that's obviously more akin to a white wine and you know the kind of flavor profile you're going for here you're not looking for something like a chardonnay so you're not going to be oaking this or anything and if that's the case and you go look at unoaked, simple um not and not simple as in you know doesn't have the complexity and bouquet but you know um unpretentious maybe is a better word um (laughs) dry, you know, off dry white wines that are, uh, you know, straightforward is maybe, maybe a better way of putting it and, and then go look at those yeasts. So you've, at that point you've subdivided down to white wines, you know, um, that are pretty straightforward and tend to be in the off dry range. So go to your wine book and look up off dry white wine styles you know, and that will come back and tell you these kind of grapes and these kind of grapes and these kind of grapes. And and then you can use that to cross-reference with the yeast list to say, okay, that gives me this, 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 and this yeast. And at that point, that's when you get in with somebody who's like a real yeast expert who can say, well, yeah, okay, this one's nice, but it's going to throw uh, off flavors for blah, 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 you know?
1: Yeah.
4: Or this one's great, but feed it well, or else it'll be like uh, rancid rhino fart, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you know, above
3: sixty-eight degrees, this one's gonna give you, you know, this one's gonna, this one's gonna throw, you know, sulfur notes or something
2: we like have, that. We so. have, um, we've got Mississippi Chris on the line. Uh, there he is. Chris, how are you doing tonight?
3: I just got home a few minutes
5: ago. <laughs> how are you? <laughs>
2: doing well we're just talking about uh yeast pairings how you make your selection uh what are you looking at uh, and where you know where do you start and uh i think vicky's hit on a pretty good point here uh you know starting at the back and working working forward or working backwards i guess or starting at the finish line and then working towards the starting line so we're that's
3: how you do a project you know you <laughs> figure out what you want to achieve and then you figure out how you're going to get from here to there
2: yeah. Um, yep. I guess my 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 question to you Chris would be where do you start? How, how do you make your yeast selections? What's the most important uh aspect about the uh about making your yeast selection?
5: Well, for me it's consistency. Uh, uh using something that I know and uh I know 71B inside and out. I know what it'll do. I know where it's going to go. I know where I can where it's gonna stop naturally and I know where I can make it stop, uh, or encourage it to stop. Uh usually within five gravity points. Uh so what I do, uh I know that uh generally I'm gonna ferment about hundred and four gravity points with seventy one B. So, uh I'll decide what I want my final gravity to be and I'll add that to hundred and four and That'll be my starting gravity. Um, I tend to stick with 71B because I like it uh, in just about everything, uh, even traditionals. Uh, I probably should branch out more and try different things, but um, I have basically four yeasts that I use. Three of them are reserved uh, for sizers. Uh, which i call them the d yeast i use uh, dv10 d21 and d47 uh, those three are for sizers and then 71b for everything else
2: what uh what is it about the 71b that you think makes or lends itself to traditional well, I
5: don't, I don't really know if it lends itself to traditionals or not so much as it suits my taste. Um, I think I ended up with that because that's what I started with. And, uh, I sort of started out with a mindset that I'm going to start with one yeast. I'm going to learn it, learn what it does. And, uh, I liked it and never moved away from it. So. That's still my go-to yeast for everything except the sizer, and uh, uh, so uh, you know I, I like the D twenty-one for sizers because it's not as temperature sensitive as the D forty-seven. Yet I get about the same flavor profile.
2: Hmm. And uh, AJ, he said uh, he said something rather interesting. He likes the taste. H- how much does yeast? lend, I mean, uh, you know, isn't there a consideration for for that as well?
4: I have been told my taste is in my toes and I haven't actually gotten (laughs) off my ass to do a yeast comparison test where I take one, you know, five-gallon batch of must and break it off into five single gallons and pitch different yeasts in each of them. That is what I intend to do and it might actually behoove you to do something like that if you're trying to figure out what yeasts lend to traditional but just don't use your fancy honey yet.
1: Yeah, yeah,
5: and I haven't done that either. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm sort of one of those people where I do something if it turns out good, I do it again. Yeah, and uh, um. and so 71D is one of those yeasts that it, it turned out good, so I did it again, and I'm still doing it.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I'm like that with the ones that I used to.
2: I tend to read what other people are doing, and you know, read their recipes and their outcomes, and gather you know quite a bit of information in, in that respect as well. Uh, paying you know attention to you know the flavor profiles that they came up with, but I also noted where you know different yeasts apparently give uh, you know give give you a different flavor as well and i and i know that to be the case because i you know uh in a couple of traditionals that i've got where pete has been involved i you know we talk about the yeast selection and i'll come up with one and he'll 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 come back and recommend something completely different and i'm thinking wow uh okay and i trust pete's judgment um you know, I mean, after all, he's, he's got the the know how, the experience, and, and uh, I guess it's in his blood, you could say. <laughs> uh,
3: well, and don't forget, I mean, not only not only does Pete come from a um, you know from a winemaking slash brewing family, Pete has also attended uh, UC Davis Enology School, and mm-hmm. while while he did not go on to complete a degree there, he's taken many of the classes. So, and his his personal university background is in chemistry so i mean he's just got a ton of ability to figure this stuff out in his training and education you know
2: so uh chris your yeast selection has been pretty much off of your own experience and what you have come to like
5: yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I wish I had a lot more experience with different yeasts, uh, and I probably, um, I'll probably get to that point one day, but I'm so comfortable with this one and I like the results that, you know, when you like something, what's the point in changing it? Um, there may be something better out there and and I'm sure there's you know better selections for different things I know there is there's, there's definite but uh who drinks my meat? It's me and my friends and and my family and uh and they like what I'm doing, so I haven't changed uh I guess i that's one of the reasons I want to enter the major cup is uh to, you know, I guess get someone to kick me in the ass and say, you know, if you, this is not good. You need to do something different. <laughs> yeah. That may be the only reason that I ever change what I'm doing.
1: An honest and, opinion? Uh,
5: <laughs> yeah, somebody, well, I think my friends are being honest. I think they uh, they, they drink it up, so they're... You know they're not lying. they like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, my palate is not on the level of a taster uh, of a judge or uh, and and I know that, so uh, and I'm pretty easy to please uh, when it comes to things like that, too. So I probably need someone to light a fire under me and, and say we gotta we gotta tighten up the loose ends here.
4: Just a little bit of fine tuning.
5: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and, J.D., you need to check your text. I sent you a, a text. Uh, I think what you've got is going to be perfect for the batch I'm working on.
2: Yeah. Uh, How's the hurt murmur going? You'll trade me two quarts of sour wood for two quarts of wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I might do that. <laughs> uh, so you got 60
5: pounds. You can spare two quarts.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> it's just a matter of getting it there. Um, I'll, I'll get yours in the mail uh, I, I've tomorrow. Never, I've never had so I have no idea what sourwood honey would even taste like. Uh, it's
5: one of the few honeys that I'll use for a, tra- a straight traditional by itself. It's what I call a standalone honey.
2: Well, what am I going to um, do with two quarts?
4: Make Ellen?
5: Make a gallon. Yeah.
2: yeah, Okay. I can make a
1: gallon. No,
5: you could make a two gallon. uh, If you make it dry, you could make a two gallon. (laughs) Or if you want a gallon, I'll trade you a gallon for a gallon. (laughs)
2: Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's uh, let's think about that. Uh, I got to come up with a way to getting it to you first. You're you're um, hoarding yeah. the wildflower He's hoarding it. Well this, uh, I'm going to yeah. use what I need to use up first. Of course, I mean, 60 pounds is going to go quite a long way because I only expect to use maybe 25, 26 pounds of it. Uh, uh, you know, so that'll leave the me, first one. Well, the yeah, the first one. But <laughs> um, let's talk offline, Chris. Uh, I might be interested in uh, see if I can put together a couple of quarts and get them out. I, packaging is the only thing that scares me. Um, I don't want certainly don't want to send it in a glass mason jar. With, you know, with well, that's what I was gonna.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I got I, I got to think about. You're not from
3: around here, are you boy.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's fragile. I was, It'll I be I nice was gonna send. Great. I was gonna send
5: two mason jars.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't want to be cleaning up the mess in the back of the postman's truck when he. <laughs> <laughs> We'll we'll talk
5: about it offline. Yeah. I I do want to trade you out some because that uh, yeah. that wildflower is uh, is what I'm looking for for my for my heart murmur, and I'm not going to get to enter the Maser cup this year, but it's definitely oh. coming next year because uh, I finalized my recipe and. Uh, uh, I'm down to finding just the right wildflower, and that's why I want to okay. trade you that because I've got it all hinges now around the wildflower. Well, and how, uh,
2: how much do you need? How, I mean, you're not into making small batches, don't you make uh, big batches?
5: Yeah, but this is going to be a small batch because I'm making this specifically for the mazer cup, and uh, I, I'm gonna I want to do a, a batch size. I'm going to do a two gallon batch. And I'm gonna do it so that I can manage it meticulously. Uh I don't have a lot of time right now to to uh, babysit a ten gallon batch. So I'm gonna make a two gallon batch and it's gonna be reserved specifically for tasting and the maser cup. So Oh okay. and, and and you and uh, and and the three of you uh We'll get a, a sample bottle, and uh, Texas Dave will get a sample bottle. If he ever gets me my damn, where's my damn meat today? Yeah, yeah
3: Dave, <laughs> you're falling out of the job, man.
2: Uh, Texas Dave is probably listening in. I can't imagine there's uh, too many night calls. Uh, how, you know how, he, He's a veterinarian, so I don't know whether there's that many uh, house calls. If he's a large animal veterinarian. It can be well, a that, lot of that's them. True, yeah. Oh yeah,
3: there's. It's like it's like with Chris. There are no hours. It's when that's they true. tell you yeah, horses horses don't go, well, damn, it's too late to have colic. I guess the yeah. morning, they don't exactly. need that. Yeah. Yeah, I can,
5: I can, my, I can my hours is, when someone's on the table, it's my working hours. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can remember a few phone calls of the veterinarian when I was on the ranch. <laughs> the the
3: Amos, Amos is listening, and we're sitting here grousing about who hasn't sent their meat, and he says, mm, uh, I'll be sending some soon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey,
5: people yeah. have no, people have no respect when it comes to having heart yeah. attacks and things. They just do it at all hours. All right.
4: And, <laughs> you, know, they, the you know, days were popular for heart attacks.
3: Uh, I ended up, I yeah. ended up at the ER at what was it, JD, about ten o'clock at night or something yeah. like that when you were shipping mm-hmm. me down to the ER and telling me to get my button gears. Well, so yeah,
2: I, I threatened her. I mean, I you know, I mean, he me
3: he <laughs> no 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 he threatened to call me like every five minutes until yeah. to turn into the air so I got I got right in the car and left <laughs> yeah I mean
2: yeah she was under <laughs> orders text me when you're in the car you know, I did, and I and, did didn't um, I texted yep. you when I was in the
3: car yep. and then I texted you when I was at the Stop ER there. then I texted yep. you from the ER and then I texted you when yep. they took me to the hospital so. yep. <laughs> and,
1: but
5: now uh, back to the meat subject JD uh, honestly if I were you I would talk to Pete and, and if, if there's any way possible I would get some of that honey uh, and sit down with Pete and say taste this here's what I want to do
2: Help me out here because uh, well, you may see,
1: discover
2: that's, uh, that's that's the other thing though. Uh, this would be the third one that he has assisted on, and I kind of wanted to go this one alone.
4: Uh, I you, say know, you Just I, ask everyone else instead.
2: Well, I know uh, Pete. Pete has been. I mean, I know that I could you know send an email to Pete and with a question, and I you know within hours he's going to email me back with an answer. Uh, and he's been just, you know, really, really helpful on the first two traditions, my orange blossom and my mesquite. I know enough of the process now, okay? Uh, that I think I can manage this alone. I mean, the biggest thing, my biggest hurdle was getting my, uh, my fermentation process under control. And by that, I mean, temperature wise you know and the whole nine yards i've got that i I don't that's a no-brainer now uh the second part of this whole process is knowing how much you know what to look for you know when you're talking nutrients when you're talking uh you know the the uh, ph uh, readings and so on and so forth and I, and I, I'm pretty much. I mean, based on you know what Chris has told me in the past, what Pete has told me, when you know things that I've listened to on the show, and and, and I've read on on the online. Um, you know, I, I know that pH is yeah, it's important, but it's not so freaking important that you need to go overboard when just because the pH is two points higher than where it should be. Well, there well, there are those who would argue with that. Well, and I can't. Yeah you know i tend to you know and this is just actually is a shout out to chris because uh i tend to go along with what he was telling us uh here a while back you know he, he's not going to do anything unless it tastes bad uh and that's kind of where i'm at because you know i think it's a um it's it's one of those things where you just got to kick back and see where it goes and if it starts going into a direction to where it is is affecting the flavor, the taste, then you take appropriate action and gently bring it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was the big mistake yeah. with the pumpkin because it went haywire off the bat, and I and I poured what amounted to about eight quarts of lemon juice in the damn thing to bring it under <laughs> control. Yeah, and it, it just went south. And, uh, so it, it may be a while before it's, I mean, it's still sitting there. Uh, Texas Dave's on the line.
3: There he is. Yeah. See, so so we there bug is. him enough and he pops up, right? I yeah. Know. I want to,
2: to tell
6: Chris, I want to tell Chris I hadn't forgot him. I got his meats here. I just need to get them boxed up and sent out.
5: Uh, you got my address, so. I'll be looking for them. You and, uh, you and JD and and the girls are going to get a sample of my heart murmur as soon as it's ready. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but I'm trying to, trying to get JD to give up some of his wildflower. I got to find just the right honey, but, uh, I got. I've got a batch size calculated, big enough for the Maser cup, for four samples, and for my tasting along the way to see when it's ready. And uh,
2: where? So, uh, is, uh, where in Mississippi are you, again, Chris? Excuse me. Where in Mississippi are you?
5: I'm in northern Mississippi.
2: Well, what's the town?
5: Oh, the town. Yeah. Uh, I'm in
2: Tupelo. Tupelo.
6: my favorite honey.
2: Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll we'll talk offline about uh, about this honey thing. I, I may be, I, I might try to send you all, much more than just two quarts. Well,
5: um, so you let me know. We'll swap out equal amounts, or I can get you
2: some. Uh, I, if you want, I don't care about that. I just, you know, uh, yeah. If you
3: get a gal, if you get a gallon of the miracle honey out of him, you know, we're all going to be aghast. Well, <laughs> well
5: I'm trying to. Uh, I, I, what I, I, I thought that he wanted to try some different kind of honeys. He said that that he was well, sort yeah. of inundated <laughs> with orange blossom, and I thought it would be a good chance for you to to get some honeys that you normally wouldn't get out there. And I know sourwood. Is, is uh mostly an Appalachian and of course we have tupelo here and uh, uh I could get you some tupelo if you uh,
3: Oh, tupelo's you good. To try JD that. just say yes. Tupelo's <laughs> okay. really good. Seriously, I've got yeah. a jug I've got a gallon of tupelo I've been saving cuz I got to figure out I probably do a traditional with it because it's a, it's just a damn shame to to put anything else on top of it cuz it's just so good.
5: Yeah. It's just a little too spicy for me to to use alone uh yeah, See, I know I like a lot that. of people
3: i pre- yeah i, I, like I know it, yeah a
5: lot of people like that i i prefer to blend the tupolo with something uh uh and mesquite uh tupelo and orange blossom that makes a good one uh and star thistle
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, i like i those. like star thistle i've had good luck with star thistle mm,
2: yeah, yeah. Dave, we got you on the line. Let me ask you uh, about your yeast selection. H- how do you go about making your yeast selections? Is there any particular thing that you're looking for or uh, characteristic-wise well, um, or, or anything?
6: Doing it backwards, read, you, JD. Yeah, <laughs> My reasoning for using the yeast I use is pretty much everything that Chris said. I like get good results. It tastes good, and it's just what I like. And uh, my main go-to yeast right now is the Verica dry Mead yeast. Okay. And uh, I have been playing with, I do use DB10, especially on my hydromel.
2: But you arrived at those based off of what, the characteristics of the yeast themselves or just no, tried and the, recipes that you have done again, over? My,
6: my, it's kind of like Chris. My palate is not really refined enough to really explain the nuances, I guess. But to me, the Verica just comes out with a drinkable, smoother, balanced product, quicker than other yeasts I've used. You tried it, you liked it, and you stuck with it Exactly, and I got this back in college When I was in uh, the brew club And one of the academic advisors did meat And he used what he called virka Which uh, I got hold of some and kept culture alive for a few years But it died off, and then it took me forever to find it again uh, I was going to say, isn't that kind of hard to get a hold of now? Yeah, there's only a few places that I found it. Uh, I've had to dig back in my uh, bookmarks to find the places I get it from, but I pretty much what, maintain the culture of it in the fridge now.
2: What is it about and, that uh, Virka that uh, makes it so special for you? Beg your pardon? What, what is it about that verica yeast that makes it so special for you?
6: Well, it, I, I guess in a nutshell, it just makes the meads I like. Um again, like Chris was saying about the one he uses uh I think it was seventy one b he can tweak it he can figure out where it's going or how to direct it. And I can kind of do that with the virka, and like I said, it's just one of those i me and my brother-in-law did do a side by side comparison with virka b forty seven and uh with the e c eleven eighteen and just doing side by side the birka from the get-go straight out of the fermenter was just a better smoother product uh, it was drinkable mm-hmm. even out of the fermenter where the others were really rough around the edges uh,
1: mm-hmm.
6: and uh it, it ages out really well and really smooth and uh, i suppose there is a little flavor nuance there but it really seems to complement honey and what i do with either a melomel or a methaglen or even a traditional
1: yeah, Vicky well, and, never- and
5: that's another thing. Uh, Dave, Dave mentioned. Uh, I think he was sort of getting to the to saying that uh, you know a big thing is knowing what your yeast is going to do, and that comes from using it over and over and over, uh, using it in traditionals, using it in melmel's, uh, and really get to know that yeast and know what it's going to do. Uh, and then, then you, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. Uh, you, you know, you know when you need to rack it. You know that it, this thing is going gangbusters and it's not going to stop. And I better rack this thing now and start encouraging them to slow down, or I need to really aerate this thing and I need to stir it more and I need to kick it in gear, maybe even kick up the temperature a little bit because it's going to quit on me if I don't. Uh, you know, knowing those little things like that about your yeast, and and you just have a lot more control over
2: it. Yeah, Vicky, what um, I know we've talked about, uh, you know, where to start and everything. But in all your mead making, was there is there a particular characteristic of yeast uh, that you were looking for, or how did you make your selections based on what you were you were making?
3: Well, I mean, I, I I went tried to go with something that worked best for whatever it was I was trying to make. So it varies. I mean, sometimes it's uh, EC eleven eighteen. Sometimes it's you know, um, oh God, I hate it when I draw a blank. Uh, uh, blah blah forty seven. D forty seven. Yeah, D forty seven. Thank you for my my mind was doing DL. Don't ask me when I knew that wasn't right. And it was like that. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like Delta forty seven. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it really depends. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I would write up a recipe and then I would call Pete and go, "This is what I'm thinking," <laughs> and then get him to back check me to make sure that I had gotten it right and was going to get you know the most bang for my buck out of it. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to say that he knows a hell of a lot more than I will ever know. About yeah. uh, you know wine and mead making because he's been doing it a lot longer than me and that's that's cool. But um, you know don't be afraid to don't be afraid to ask people who I say and I mean the whole I learned the hard way putting it out for the crowd to answer just gets you a whole bunch of different answers and you know further along than you were before. But you know asking two or three people who you trust and who you know make good stuff then that's a whole other thing. They can help you fine tune and tweak your recipe to get something that's going to work
2: yeah i just uh, you know uh like i said i i I don't mind uh i I don't mind confiding in pete and saying hey you know what do you think uh but at some point it's kind of like weaning the cap off the udder i mean you you gotta (laughs) you gotta be able to do it uh do it on your own at some point and
3: uh i guess i guess in theory that's true you know but uh uh, I'm gonna keep feeding. I'm gonna keep feeding at the teat, so to speak, and and you know use the re- resources available to me. I'm. I don't ever expect to be that good. I know where my talents lie, and I exploit those. You know. Yeah. And so you'll but keep working no, at the teat until no no you get a hoof in the head. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And
5: there's no reason to rush getting off the teat either. I mean, that's
3: right. That's right. True.
5: That's right. <laughs> that's true. You can. Yeah. Uh, Until you're wearing hoof think, prints. I don't think there's an official weaning age for meat makers. so
3: <laughs> I really, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that there really isn't an official weaning age um, you know, that says that. And I mean the thing is is I think that we do have um uh, we have strength in you know our numbers and in our um in our ability. And what's wrong with bouncing it off of somebody who's maybe got more experience than you do in a particular style or even a particular recipe um you know and and getting some feedback i mean we don't live in a vacuum we aren't people on an island so why the hell should we act like it
2: yeah no that's that's true uh uh you know and it's uh, a lot of it is just me um you know i tend to want to you know be able to put my name my name only on it and this is why I had such a hard time. Yeah. Well,
3: but you are. You're the one doing all the work. You just had somebody cross-check you on. Uh, uh, you said uh, someone
4: proofread it. Uh,
3: uh, yeah, basically. big difference yeah, between like, being the writer
4: and the editor. Oh, well, sure. yeah.
3: And that's well, the thing. I mean, if somebody publishes a book and then they have it ed- – if they don't have it edited, you give them – you pitch hissies at them because the damn thing wasn't edited and I can't read this. There's so many –
2: yeah. spelled worse yeah well but yeah. It's the same uh it's the same uh, it's the same deal when you know pete said hey you know you need to send us to the major cup." And i'm thinking wait a minute this is your recipe and he's convinced me otherwise since that point but uh i still have i, I just still have. i mean i'm totally old school when it comes to this kind of thing so uh you know but i mean we're and we're gonna send it to the major cup come hell or high water if i can get the damn thing to, to <laughs> clear up on time um <laughs> you know I, well, it, it may be that i have to chemically clear it and i don't want to do that cold shock well yeah, yeah and i don't uh, I, i'm trying to stay away from any kind of chemical anything no uh, just uh, don't you know,
3: yeah chill it and and I have to say, you know, based on my experience and what I've seen out there, yeah, cold crash. But just based on experience and what well, I've seen happen to hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of mead makers, we've had people on there who were like, I will never use any sort of chemical of any kind ever, ever. And it's like, man, their meads were always pretty much mediocre because they were afraid to step outside of that and see what they could do. You know, I mean, don't t- don't box yourself in. Be willing to try things. If you try something and go, I don't really like the chemical flavor I get when I do blah, then don't use that, you know. Well, but, do
2: they, I mean, is there, is there uh, I mean, do you get doctors or is there any? No. Uh, uh, if you create. Using, like super clear or something?
3: No, nobody. How the hell are they going to know if you used it? The only way it's going to cost you points is if, so, if something that you use causes the mead to. Uh, Be less of an example of its um, of its category. So you know, if somebody submits, say, like a semi semi sweet traditional, and there's chemical off notes for, you know, uh, something that they used or that the yeast left a weird flavor behind it. These are things that they're going to get docked points for because they're they're technical faults. It doesn't mean it's a bad mead, but they're technical faults in the sense of it being judged. We're judging for the perfection of mead, not is it a drinkable mead? So if you get back something that you didn't win a medal. It doesn't mean that it's not a good mead. It just means that it wasn't a uh, competition winning mead, which is a whole different thing. I mean, you've heard Chris say it enough times. He's like, I make mead to drink. Well, yeah, you man. Know? That's, <laughs> that's kind of
1: where I'm yeah. at, too.
3: Yeah, and that doesn't mean that it's bad mead or, 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 or that it's less perfect mead than what you you co- you know what you put in competition. But our whole goal in competition is, I mean, there's plenty of meads I judge that I don't like, that they're icky to me. You know, there, there are people who love them. We, I had the agave conversation with somebody the other day. They're, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I love me some agave. I'm like, oh, ugh, get it away from me. Oh, I hate
2: that stuff. Brandon, you know? uh, Brandon Gretsch, uh, he's, <laughs> he's listening to the show, and, and uh, the best way for him to communicate with us is on Skype. Oh, okay. He's got this – and it's and Brandon, it's kind of a convoluted question here, but I'm going to try to work my way through it. He's asking <laughs> – lalamand uh has a couple of premium yeasts which only come in 500 gram packs such as bm 4x4 icv uh okay dv10 and many others uh those are
3: commercial those are commercial uh, level does this
2: availability mean anything uh are they harder to use well, it sounds it well, sounds like these
3: are you know honking big packages of yeast, which would to me say that they're designed to be sold strictly, well, not strictly, but uh, they're they're aimed at the commercial market.
2: Yeah, they, and and I, I believe that's the case, Brandon, uh, because I know a couple of the uh, places that I deal with, uh, you can actually buy yeast in large quantities. Uh, yeah. I mean, so no,
5: yeah 500 grams that's a little over a pound of yeast yeah, <laughs> that's a okay. lot of yeast
3: yeah brandon what you got there is yeast for the zombie apocalypse and you know <laughs> well, keep it in the freezer because you could need it later but honestly you can you can you're just gonna have to make a bloody great pile of mead you know? brandon, <laughs> uh, brandon's
2: problem uh, well, i shouldn't say brandon's problem but the problem that brandon is having is that he lives in malta and ah, yeah, that's a problem
3: get, with a non-US. A lot of yeah, them have that difficult
2: issue. Yeah, it's to get uh, yeast <laughs> down there, apparently. In fact, yeah. he and I were trying to work out a deal. I was actually going to send him some uh, and we thought we were going to be able to get away with it. I'm still willing to do that, Brandon. And I know you're listening.
3: Well, just package uh, um, it up in a flat envelope and send it FedEx to yeah, Malta, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's, yeah. Yeah,
2: that's, it, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. I mean, I I would, yeah. you know, figure out a way to send it, but Apparently he found another source. That, that's hmm. the problem he's having is finding source.
3: Well, I've uh, been told by uh, a number of our uh, of our uh, outside the U.S. Uh, listeners and and got me readers and that that and, and even in some Western European countries, which kind of surprised me, it's really difficult to get a lot of the yeast that we talk about on a daily basis that we take for granted here. So, um, well, and I, I don't know why that is because some of the yeast companies are actually European, but go figure. You know, um, what's funny
4: is I think Elmond has a, um, Lelamond, Le I think, has a, a branch here because I'm pretty sure the stuff I've got is packaged in Canada.
3: Yeah. And I thought that Lelamond Le had offices in Europe as well. I, them from, I, Ooh, I, had, I used to think that they were, oh, sorry. I used to think that they were European. Is that better?
2: Yeah, that's better. And I'm holding uh, my mouth different now, so, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, we were, it, it was just a matter that, uh, you know, to send Brandon, I think, what was a Brandon, something like I don't know, five or six packages of yeast uh, was going to cost something like, I don't know, 25 or 30 bucks.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, shipping to Malta is (laughs) not cheap. So, I mean, honestly, you want to get right down to it because, I mean, my my first impression would be to say, and send me whatever kind of honey you guys have got down there, but Mm -hmm. that's an agricultural product, and getting that through customs is like pulling teeth. So, um, the the, the ag beagles go bananas over that kind of stuff. So, you know, but
2: uh, – and no, Brandon, to answer your question, no, there's nothing special about them. They come in large quantities for large batches. They're, uh, they're,
3: yeah, these are commercial. These are commercially sized packages for making hundreds of gallons of wine. That's just the way they package. Yeah,
2: it. and yes, you, you can buy large. I can buy large quantities, Brandon, uh, if I wanted to. I can buy 500 grams of DV10 if I wanted to here, uh, but... The problem with that is storage for one. They really, you, you should really use your yeast up in the first couple of months you get it. Freeze it. Well, even I, don't even I don't even trust that. Uh, because you, I mean, a whole, a home freezer just isn't proper storage as far as I'm concerned. Deep yeah. freeze. Yeah. Um, uh, you
3: know, put it. In, I mean, mark it for the zombie apocalypse, and you know, <laughs> put it in the bottom yeah. of the chest and freezer. Put it in the bottom of the chest freezer. Make sure you put a big X on it so you don't forget to grab it for your bug out bag when you run out the door with the zombies on your tail. And, yeah.
5: You know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, keep it. Keep it in your bug out bag, and you can use it for bartering, whether it's good or not. They won't know.
2: That's right. Uh, yeah. And to further uh, to further answer your question, Brad, I, I think the reason why some are lar- maybe come in larger packages than others is. Probably based on use and supply. Uh, and. Um,
3: Hamish is telling Hamish is telling you that the uh, it only lasts for a few months is absolute BS. It does keep for years. I I know this for a fact. So well, I'm sure.
2: Uh, I've uh, used yeast. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't keep it for that long. I've that's used my, yeast a year my,
4: after the best before date. I keep yeah, it in the I, fridge, not even the freezer, and Yeah, it's
3: he, Hamish says especially if you vacuum freeze it. So you can take your mm-hmm. yeast and you know and put it in put it in a plastic bag and vacuum seal that puppy. And Food saver. Yeah, food saver, bottom of the deep freeze, and away you go. Yeah. Bob's your own I don't need to go. You know what I'm
2: I, I don't even keep my bread yeast that long. Uh, yeah,
4: but you're you're just like you can buy bread yeast at the grocery
2: store for two bucks.
4: Thank you. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're paying yeah, seven dollars a fu- packet
2: for it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so back to mead making. Uh, <laughs> so your yeast selection, I mean, it, it's pretty much uh, all over the place here. So. I, I think I, I think I know where to start. I'm gonna Hey start.
3: um you just got shot down. Hamish says he has eight kilograms of K one V that expired three years ago and it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Six, <laughs> Sixteen pounds of K one V and it's still worse yeah. you know, okay Hamish, you got a swimming pool? <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. Uh the last the last seventy one B that I used I had it for two years. I uh, had it in the door of the refrigerator. That's
4: what I and, put mine, uh, In the door of the fridge. Wow.
5: Yeah, and I, I rehydrated it and uh within four hours of pitching it, uh I was worried about a blow off tube. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh and this was this was at least two years old, maybe older than that. So uh, it was some of the first I bought when I first started, and uh, I'm just now getting to use all of it. Because so. <laughs> you know, like the first time I bought it when I got into meat making, I was like, you know, I, I went all out and went head head first, and uh, so I ordered like a hundred packets, and uh, <laughs> you know, so it was like I've, I'm just now using them all
4: up. No wonder that's the yeast you use, because it's the yeast you have. Yeah. Um, Honestly, yeah. that's a consideration for me sometimes well, too. Like I'll get started in the in a batch in the middle of the night, and it's like I gotta pitch something. Oh shit, what's in the fridge?
3: Yeah, I, I've, okay, yeah. Done I've done B, that. I've done because it works for everything. I have done that where i like you say, you know, you'll pitch it, nothing takes off, and then you're like, shit, 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 and I ain't running all the way down to the brew shop, which is a forty five minute drive, just to get you know. I'll just what have I got? You know. Yep. So yeah, I've done that. Well, yeah,
5: uh, and I, I will mention this uh, just for uh, conversation. It's a little off subject, but uh, I always used GoFirm uh, to rehydrate my yeast. And yeah. um, a few months ago, uh, they were out of GoFirm, but they had the GoFirm Protect, which is sort of a, a souped-up version of the same thing. Uh, supposedly, it's better for higher-gravity uh, must. And uh, so I ordered it. And uh, normally, I would have about an eight-hour, maybe a 10-hour lag phase. Uh, Since I started using the GoFirm Protect, it's uh, three to four hours.
3: Nice. And it's going like gangbusters. I'll have to pick pick some of that up, man.
2: That's all I I could get uh, when I, I used that for the mesquite. And like you say, yeah, I mean, usually it was kind of an overnight thing for me. Uh, but then, uh, after three or four hours, it was already starting to uh, come up through the bubbler. So, I have a confession. Yeah.
4: I've never used GoFirm because none of the brew stores around me carry it. So I've never used it, and my stuff usually turns out fine. Do you yeah. do you uh, do you uh, hydrate with a nutrient, or what do you do? I just hydrate in water as per the instructions and then throw it in. Okay. I usually put the energizer in uh, when I pitch and I put the nutrients in after I get bubbling. But I mean, there was a time when I used to... Uh, when I, my, my very first batch of mead, uh, which I think I was drinking a bottle on the... Sh- or drinking the last glass on the show, one of the earlier ones. Um, mm. or no, sorry. It was I was one of... I was I don't know. Anyway. Um, that one was... I think EC1118, and I put all the nutrients in up front and I sprinkled the packet on top. It still worked. I've done that. Yeah. You know, I've I, gone where
3: I've just dumped the yeast into the bucket and given it yep. a really, and that was before even stirring it. I'd put the top on the bucket, stuffed paper towels in the hole where the airlock goes in and just shake the crap out of it. <laughs> I,
4: no, I, I never even, to, I didn't even stir the stuff, you know, I'd, I'd stir it up and then I'd put, uh, put in the, uh, yeast nutrients while it was cooling. Cause I didn't figure it was going to have any problem with that. And then as soon as it was cool, I just chuck the yeast packet right in and put the lid on and go away. You know, you never, I didn't used to aerate. I didn't used to oh, didn't really? staggered near, nutrients. Uh, I only got my hands on Energizer about five years ago. Wow. I yeah, that's gotten, what uh, I still made. I still made wine. I still made meat, and some of it was still pretty friggin' good. So yeah. He was gotten just gotten saying, "Yep, him
3: too. It's a foreigner thing. We don't have your fancy powders. <laughs> they can't. He says they can't get. It's a foreigner thing. He, he says they can't get the yeast nutrients like Paul and down there. It's ridiculous."
2: Mm. I haven't, I mean, this might be a discussion for another show, but I I haven't really gotten into the whole, you know, uh, rehydrate with nutrient thing. I mean, I do it only because it's been, you know, my mentor uh, tells me that's the way I should. Although you know, he also has me adding, and
3: you like, and you follow directions so well and everything. Well, you know? Yeah, but he, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's
2: got me. I use anywhere from twelve to sixteen grams of yeast too. So, uh, and I'm not quite sure. You know, well, more you yeast that. is
3: better. In sense.
2: Well, yeah, he says more. That I mean the more yeast you're creating a bigger colony right from the get go. Fewer they don't divides, less hard. mutation. Yeah, I'm yeah. You know, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but realistically, well, you, can, yeah, you
4: can still you, start a batch from, like, one yeast cell because it'll double and yeah, then it'll yeah. double and then it'll double and it becomes exponential really fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it yeah, is like exponential, that but you get really big numbers really like, fast.
3: Works like the zombie apocalypse. You know?
2: <laughs> Brandon, uh, Brandon says that uh, they only have uh, – well, he says the largest – and only brew store on the island. <laughs> hey, at says, least they
3: have one. He doesn't have to go to another state like Chris does. Well, he <laughs> says they don't.
2: They don't have any yeast whatsoever because the only yeast they bring is during grape harvest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh wow! <laughs> boy,
4: yeah, that sounds boy. about right for a place that only well, makes yeah, grape wine. You,
3: yeah. Oh, have sure. you had Malton wines? They're really good. Brandon's <laughs> Brandon, move
4: go <laughs> yeah. on vacation bring home yeast find,
2: find a new place to live
4: <laughs> I get uh, to see the egg beagles at the Malta
3: at the Malta customs what you got in the bag son Well, uh,
2: <laughs> Dave uh, what's in the hopper what do you got working on
6: well I've uh, I've actually been bottling some stuff you know non-meat stuff beer and wine I've actually got a lot of beers going because my 5-keg kegerator is empty now, which is an unusual occurrence. Oh. Yeah. Um, we can't have meadwise. that. It'll get lonely. Yeah, meat-wise, I've got a 2-gallon version of Bray's uh, Szechuan pepper.
1: Ooh, uh,
6: nice. Sitting on the counter right now going, and uh, am waiting on a 10-gallon fermenter at my local store here because I'm about to do a my Lollaberry version of Kirkstock's Stock's uh, Superberry Mill now.
3: What's, Ooh, the uh, Superberry is really good.
6: Yes, yeah. it is. I've made that. I'm going to sub out the uh, raspberries and blackberries with some lullaberrys and see how it turns out.
3: I've never had lullaberrys.
5: I think I've made every recipe that Kurt Stock has ever put public.
3: <laughs> and, I guess, uh, I guess and we they, better get Kurt Stock on the show, huh? <laughs> yeah, I've,
5: I've made every one of his recipes that's, that I could find on the internet, and they've all turned out good. And his uh, strawberry banana, he calls it a strawbanna cabana.
6: Oh, man, that, uh, that was a that's, great That's meat. a good
3: one. I got to make that yeah. one. I'd say, that's been on my list of ones to do for a while. But, yeah, we'll see we we can get him on the show since you know you're a fanboy and everything <laughs> uh,
5: yeah and he's a and he's a 71B guy also everything he, he, he makes he is I a think. 71B guy yeah yeah so uh every, everything that I, I followed his recipes to the letter and they all turned out great so
3: he, he often uh, comes to the Maser Cup so you know if you're thinking about coming to the Cup you can meet him I don't remember oh, okay. if it was.
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't remember if it was Michael Fall or Michael Fairbrother who was a seventy-one. They use seventy-one B for everything they do. Uh, Michael
3: Fairbrother,
2: uh, Fairbrother, yeah. Fairbrother, yeah.
5: yeah he and uh, Ken Tram uses it for a lot of things.
2: I know. Um, Dave, what kind of fermenter did you get? Um, it's
6: just going to be a ten-gallon uh, plastic bucket, basically. Oh,
2: oh yeah, okay. You're um, and it's a, not
6: a ten gallon batch. It's just got so much fruit and everything that it won't fit in regular uh, seven gallon fermenter.
2: Okay. You haven't gotten any of uh, the uh, stainless up steel about
6: a five gallon batch. Yeah.
3: Not JD. Not everybody's like you and goes from a one gallon jug to a twenty five gallon st- stainless steel jacketed well, conical <laughs> yeah <you know, laughs> fermenter with every you know. I'm actually
2: uh, you're gonna kill me now because I'm actually looking at a fourteen gallon fermenter. <laughs>
4: it's <laughs> a big bat cool. we'll friggin' down.
2: ever okay before Vicky falls off her chair now there's a reason there's a legitimate reason that I found mm-hmm. out uh-huh. this, this came from doing the pumpkin thing okay uh this is when, his excuse now listen this should be excuse. good the, uh. ex- well when okay remember when pete's talking about more fruit is better? Oh, yeah, more fruit is always better. All right, so when you're working a five-gallon batch. And
3: Dave's right. Yeah, I've got seven-gallon pails that I used to make five-gallon batches when I'm doing Mel's. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear um, you. Fruit um, takes up a lot of space.
2: Yep, I'm looking at displacement because when we did the pumpkin thing, we actually had too much liquid. We did six gallons, uh, and when we put the, uh, the, the pumpkin pulp in, actually had to take some liquid out uh, for displacement cuz we didn't count that uh, there would be that much displacement. So I, that's why I'm looking at a 14 gallon fermenter. And then you just can't buy like a 12 gallon one. So See,
4: I've I've made that <laughs> mistake before yeah. and this is why I double bucket it instead. Like if I make a 5 gallon batch of pear wine, I'm going to use both of my, you know, 5 gallon fermenting buckets for it cuz there's no way it's all going to fit. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
5: Yeah, I've got a 15-gallon trash can that's made from food-grade plastic, and uh, that's what I use for my bigger batches. If I had
4: Uh, more room, I would do that, too. There you go. Yeah. Well, my mother
3: was uh, just asking the other day she's like so you guys are getting ready to remodel the kitchen I said yeah she says are you gonna build that mead making station you were talking about and I'm like I don't know because <laughs> I was gonna put yeah. in like a you know I was gonna put in like a restaurant sink you know the big oh, yeah. uh, stainless steel jobs with really deep sinks and you know lots of couple you know like a wall of shelves where I could put my uh various stages of fermenting so you know depending on what's going on and all that and i had it all worked out in my head but every time i bring it up now john kind of looks at me like yeah right that ain't happening
2: Mm -hmm. we uh we're about out of time here folks yeah
3: i know i was thinking this one would be short because we didn't have ask oscar (laughs) Uh,
2: i should know better right mm mm-hmm yeah, when we started out, we were thinking, you know, uh, an hour and a half show or whatever. And then now, now it's two hours. Now it's more than two hours, so it's whenever we decide it's over. Yeah, know.
3: pretty whenever soon it's gonna be. Up. Uh, yeah, pretty soon it's gonna be like nine p.m. Eastern to like three in the morning.
6: Yeah,
3: until <laughs> yeah. we shut.
6: Um, up. It's an all-nighter. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, we can uh, do the got me the got me live pajama party. Yeah.
5: <laughs> meet making uh,
2: to midnight. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Thanks to uh, Julia Hurst for coming on uh, tonight. Uh, would really like to get her back on the show again. And of course, uh, Texas Dave and Mississippi Chris uh, joining us here in the late hours. <laughs> Poor hour.
3: guys who get identified by where you live. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad nobody calls me North Carolina, Vicky. That'd be too awkward.
2: Before we uh, before we take off, and of course, say uh, Hamish, I know you're listening in tonight, and uh, Brandon, uh, whatever we can do to help you get some yeast down our part. Yeah,
3: hey, Hamish in the hot place because it's like 115 degrees Fahrenheit down there right now.
2: Real quick, uh, real quick, uh, another shout out here goes to M V. I guess M Violin uh, in the forums. Uh, he's uh, also uh, walking on a uh, wildflower batch, and uh, he's seeking advice from all the folks at gotme.com. So there you go. If gotme.com is not your best, piece, I don't know what is, uh, but, uh, more power to you. Uh, M villain, I guess, uh, let's get together on that wildfire, wildfire thing. And, uh, let's talk, uh, compare notes. There you go. Um, next, uh, next week, uh, Vicki is, uh, Frank Goldbeck from, uh, Golden Coast, Golden Coast, mead, yeah, uh, they're here by us.
3: Yeah, they are out there by you. They're newish. Uh, they've been out there for a couple years, and um, they're doing some really interesting stuff with sour meads. They, they took a total left turn at Albuquerque and just are having all kinds of fun with meads nobody ever thought of before. So it'll be interesting. They were actually just on um, the Mead maker show uh, last episode. They, they popped up on my Facebook feed, and I put it over on the Got Mead page. So if you want to listen to... Um, what they had to say on the Muten Maker Show. Go to Got Me and you can click on the link and go listen to that show before you come listen to us talk to them next week.
2: And then uh, on the 26th, uh, it's going to be Mike Tripka, the Domer's Cup, Savannah, Georgia. He'll be with us that night. And mm-hmm. uh, don't forget the Domer's Cup; it's coming up February. Yeah. Savannah, Georgia. So I'll uh, be there. I'm going to be there judging. Get, uh, get, uh, get your stuff ready and get it submitted. And uh, you can hear the rest of the story at and I didn't put the link in. Darn it. Uh,
4: <laughs> you know what?
2: Google is a wonderful thing. Google, I, uh, yeah. Here, let me out. Google that for you. <laughs> Dolbrus Cup. Uh, just Google it. You can probably get D- more information at the Me. I've got,
3: yeah, um, I'll, I'm putting up the article for that probably soon. And, um, but yeah, I think it's Dolbrus. I think it's dombruscup.com. But I also linked it Thank again. You. If you go to GotMeat Facebook page, not the group. Well, actually the group too. I linked their entry pages so that you, the links are in the Got Mead face, Facebook page and group.
2: Yeah. And then, uh, of course, the Mazer Cup, uh, March 18th through the 19th, Broomfield, Colorado, MazerCup.com. Get your stuff ready and get it submitted. Uh, largest
3: and the largest um, op- uh, the largest public tasting of mead anywhere.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So uh, big time. And we're actually, Pete is going to come on and talk to us about the Mazer Cup in a few weeks. So
2: Cool. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this Tuesday night here on Got Me Live. Say goodnight, Vicki. night, Vicki. AJ, say goodnight. Goodnight. night. All right, folks. Dave and uh, Chris, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks uh, for calling in, guys. And yes. uh, I guess that's it. We'll see you next Tuesday.